John 3, 1-16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they, can only enter, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Preacher today is Thomas Hemphill. Thomas, where are you? Do you want to come up here? Here he is. So Thomas ordinarily belongs to our 4 p.m. service. Him and his wife Marcella and their teenage kids Aneska and Christoph go to 4 p.m. They've been going there for a couple of years. So because Thomas and his family go to 4 p.m., we thought that maybe not all of us would be that familiar with Thomas. So we're going to ask him a few questions about what he does. Uh, Thomas, what's your day job? I just sit at home in front of a computer all day. Okay, doing what? (laughs) I work in Bible translation, so different people in different parts of the world translating the scriptures into their language. They're often translating not from the original language because they don't know them, they're translating from English or some other language. And so my job is to check their translation against the Greek and the Hebrew and again to check it theologically as well to make sure that it's accurate. So I do that from my home office and every now and again I also travel and visit teams who are doing that translation. What do you like to do when you're not doing your day job? I like to do more of my day job. (laughs) It sounds like it's a job with uh, not particularly regular hours. Uh, When do you get time to spend with the family and do things that you all enjoy? Yeah, uh, well, seriously, I do try and... trying to be a little bit better at not doing my day job when it's not the day. Um, Yeah, well, we like to do stuff around here, go for walks and stuff. Uh, I like to take the kids out and walk and talk and talk about stuff, life with them, and yeah. Cool. Uh, and Thomas, you've previously been a church pastor. Uh, can you tell us when you did that yeah. and how long ago? Yep, sure. That was uh, for three and a half years. So that was from 2010 to 2013. And what else, where was it, did you say? Or? Uh, yeah, how long ago and for how long? So I think you've answered it. Yeah, yeah no worries. Yeah. And that was up in Queensland. Cool. Yeah. Oh, well, you're back in the pulpit this morning, and um, we look forward to hearing you explain God's Word to us. No worries. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Jacob. 
Good morning. I've got to the age where I need these to read my notes. So let's just pray as we come around God's word this morning. Dear Lord, we just pray that as we come to you, that you would be with us as that last song uh, we've sung in that last song. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that's open to hear your word. But we pray that we look at this passage that maybe so many of us know, that's got two or three uh, verses that are just so well known, uh, perhaps the first or the second most famous verses in the whole Bible, and sometimes that familiarity can dull us to what's there. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to have hearts open to hear what you are saying to us through your spirit and through your word, and I pray that you'd help me to be a faithful minister of that. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a question for you is, what is a Christian? Have you ever thought about what a Christian is? What defines who and who is not a Christian? And when I say that, I mean a real, fair dinkum Christian. That is someone who's saved, someone who's going to heaven, someone who has eternal life. And I guess we'd all like to know the answer to that question because firstly, we'd like to be able to spot the other real Christians around us. Would that be right? They're in, they're out. But most of all, we'd like to know for ourselves, how do I know that I am a real Christian? That is, how do I know that I am someone who is saved from my sins and that I'm going to spend an eternity with God in heaven rather than go to the other place? What do you need to believe to be a fair dinkum, true blue believer? Now, if you go to the branch's website, you can find our statement of faith. If you believe all the things in the statement of faith, is that enough? Will that get you over the line? Who reckons yes? Come on, you don't want to be strict, do you? Or maybe you need to believe a bit more because it's only a page that's on our website. Maybe the Westminster Confession of Faith, which runs to several pages, a bit longer. Maybe if you believe everything on that, that makes you a Christian. Yeah? Or maybe it's not just about what doctrines you believe, but about what you do. I remember I became a Christian in the late 80s. Who else became a Christian in the late 80s? Who was alive in the late 80s? <laughs> you know, and, and back when I became, I mean, it's probably a bit different now, but you could spot a Christian, you know, if you're outside of church in the workplace or something, you could spot a Christian because they didn't drink, smoke, swear or gamble or go with girls who did. There's something about that. And that's how you knew who was in and who was out. So seriously, what does it take to be a real Christian, a real follower of Christ? Or put it another way, how do I know that my sins are forgiven, that I have eternal life, that I'm really going to heaven? You know, in the Bible, we actually find a few people who ask that question. There'll be a few things up on the screen to distract you from the sermon. But uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, an expert in the Jewish religious law said to Jesus, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Who's ever asked that question? Maybe one of you, two of you. I don't know where the rest of you want to spend eternity. But later in Luke, in in, in chapter 18, verse 18, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, we find the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Today, we're going to look at someone who did not ask Jesus this question. 
He did not ask how to be saved. But even though this person did not ask Jesus to be saved, he did not ask how to enter God's kingdom and have eternal life, even though this person did not ask this question, Jesus told him anyway. Who is this person who didn't ask this question? Well, as we heard in the Bible reading this morning, you probably all know, what was his name? Nicodemus. Very good. I'm glad you can say his name. I've been practicing all week. Now, if you aren't already there, please turn in your Bibles to chapter 3. I think that's on page 1064 in the church Bibles. That's what Caleb said anyway. And I know that probably three quarters of you look up your Bible on the phone, so that's fine too if you can just go there on your phone as well so you can follow through with me. So either your phone or your book, whichever one you use. So who is this Nicodemus guy? Go with a long name. Verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a, named, a, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now this first verse actually tells us quite a lot about Nicodemus. Firstly, he was a Pharisee. What does it mean that he was a Pharisee? Now Pharisees were a Jewish religious group and they were a pretty pious religious group at that. They prided themselves on knowing the Jewish law. That is what we call the Old Testament. And they knew it back to front inside and out, probably better than you and I do. And not only did they know it, but they tried as hard as they could to keep every single rule that was in it. And not only did they keep, try and keep all the rules that were in the Old Testament, they also came up with all these extra rules as well that weren't even written down, just to make sure that they were doing the right thing by God. For example, the Old Testament, their law, tells us or tells them not to work on the Sabbath. And so that they knew exactly what they meant, they also had these extra rules which defined exactly how far, for example, you could walk on a, sun, on a Saturday before that would count as work or not. You know, just keep it one metre in and you'll be fine. An extra metre and... <sighs> terrible. So they had all these extra laws as well. In other words, these guys were religious with a capital R. These were pretty pious dudes. And this Nicodemus guy, he wasn't just any old Pharisee, but notice it says in verse 1, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That is, he was one of the top religious Jews, not just in his church or his synagogue, but in the country. He was a super Pharisee, super religious, super pious. If anyone knew anything about the Bible or God, it's Nicodemus. And it seems that he has been noticing this new visitor to town, that is, Jesus. Now, Jesus did not normally live in Jerusalem. He lived up in the north of Israel in a place called Galilee. And he was in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. In the previous chapter, John chapter 2, we see that Jesus had been teaching and he'd been doing many miracles. And so Nicodemus seeks out Jesus. And in verse 2 in chapter 3, we read, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, there's a few interesting things to note in this verse. Probably the most interesting thing is that Nicodemus basically accepts and recognizes that Jesus is from God. Throughout the Gospel of John, we find that lots of ordinary people like Jesus. They accept Jesus. But the religious leaders, 
the rulers, by and large, particularly many Pharisees, and especially the members of the ruling council, most of them rejected Jesus and hated him. And so the fact that Nicodemus, who is part of the group that generally does not like Jesus, that hates him, the fact that he actually thinks Jesus is okay and realizes that he's from God is actually significant. He tells Jesus that he really thinks that he is a teacher from God. Now think about that. At one level, that is a ringing endorsement of Jesus, which is why Jesus' reply is so interesting. You know, if someone came up to you and said that, or you'd expect Jesus, when he hears someone coming up and saying, you know, that we know you're from God, we expect Jesus to say something like, well, yeah, thanks for recognizing that I really am from God. I really appreciate your affirmation of my ministry. That's what we would expect. But is that what Jesus says? Come on, you're reading through. Is that what Jesus says? No, I'm glad you're awake. It says in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Jesus is answering a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. What is Jesus talking about? Here's this guy, Nicodemus, one of the most religious guys in the country, and he's basically told Jesus, yep, you're in. I reckon you're fair dinkum. Yep, I reckon you're from God. Welcome to the club. And Jesus' Jesus's reply is not, well, thanks for the affirmation, but it's something like, you're not in the club. Do you see that? Nicodemus is basically saying, welcome to the club, and Jesus' Jesus's reply is, well, you're not in the club. If you want to see the kingdom of God, then you need to be born again. So what does it mean to be born again? If you're confused by that phrase, don't worry, you're not the only one, because Nicodemus was confused too, and you can see that in his reply in verse 4. How can anyone or how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. What Jesus said went completely over Nicodemus' head, and maybe it's not always quite clear to us as well. What was Jesus saying when he said, you must be born again? Well, actually in the Greek, which is the original language the New Testament was written in, Jesus didn't just say that you must be born again. Some of your Bibles, if you have a close look at your Bible, will have a little footnote at the end of verse 3. Whose Bible's got a little number above the line at the end of verse 3? Yep, a few of you, three or four. For example, the NIV has a little footnote which says, the Greek for again also means from above. So what does that little note actually mean? Well, in the Greek, there's this really cool little word here which is up there on the screen. It's the Greek word, Anathen. Who can say Anathen? Great. You learned first Greek word, or maybe it's your tenth Greek word. I don't know how much Greek you know. But for those Greek freaks out there, the word is Anathen, and it basically means from above as well as again. In verse 3, Jesus is actually saying, or the, the, the like extended meaning of what he's saying, is Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above. That is how the Greek readers would have been reading that verse. 
born from above. That is, born from God. Jesus is saying, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. That is, born from God. Now, of course, that does also, also, of course, does mean being born again, because for a grown person to be born from above means a second birth, as Nicodemus realizes. But he fails to get what the second birth is. So, Jesus has to explain in more detail what this second birth, this birth from above, is. Verses 5 to 8, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So, what does all this mean? Is this a lesson in meteorology? Or what is it? Nicodemus's problem is that he had thought that Jesus was saying the second birth is just like your first birth. But Jesus replies that the second birth is a spiritual birth. Our first birth as a little baby is our physical birth. As Jesus says in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. That is, our human parents, our physical parents, give birth to us as a physical being, flesh and blood. But that's not enough to enter the kingdom of God. We also need a spiritual birth from God, as the rest of verse 6 says, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. That is, God's Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual birth, a second birth. And it's the second spiritual birth that is the one that gives us access to the kingdom of God, as Jesus has said in verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. There are two things there, water and the Spirit. Sometimes we get confused. What does it mean there to be born of water? That's actually quite important. If we go back to the Old Testament, we can see that water was often used to symbolize cleansing. Not cleansing of physical dirt, but cleansing of sin. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, up there on the screen, we see that cleaning with water is used as a symbol of being cleansed from sin. And that it goes with receiving a new heart and a new spirit which comes from God's Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, this idea of a new heart, a new spirit, of some sort of supernatural cleansing of sin, of a new birth, a new beginning, has its roots in the Old Testament. In other words, Nicodemus, one of the top teachers of the law who knew all about the Old Testament, should have already known this. 
which is why in verse 10 Jesus says to him, You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Back in verse 7, Jesus had told him, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again or born from above. Verse 8 tells us more about what this being born again or born from above, what these people are like. These people who are born again from above. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. We had a bit of that the last few days, didn't we? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, there's actually a really cool wordplay going on here in the Greek. It's a bit hard to see in English. So I'm just going to give you a short Greek lesson. Is that all right? Who likes Greek? Who loves Greek? I love Greek. Oh, a few hands. Yep, good. In the Greek, the word for spirit is, let's see if anyone knows, what is it? Pneuma. And the word for wind is? Pneuma. Same word. Same word. Do you see that? How about that? In other words, the Greek word pneuma is a word that they use both for spirit and for wind. They also use it for breath too, but that's not part of the sermon today. What this means is this. If you read this passage in the original Greek, and for original Greek readers, they would have seen this really nice play on words, and I'm going to try and get it up there with that screen there. I hope you can read that blue writing for the highlighting. Verses 5 to 8, we're going to read it in a sort of quasi-Greek. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the pneuma, or the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the pneuma, the spirit, gives birth to pneuma, the spirit, with a small s. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The pneuma, wind in this case, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma, in English, spirit. Do you see the word play? Pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty cool word play because here we see Jesus comparing a born-again person, someone born again from above by God's spirit. He is comparing that person to the wind or perhaps to the wind that's in that person. You can't see the wind. You know it's there because you can hear it, but you can't see where it's coming from and you can't see where it's going to. It's something that's real, but not visible. You can't see it with your eyes. Something that makes its presence felt, but also something that's mysterious. You don't really know what it's up to. It's something that's not easy to understand. And the person who's born of the Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit, the born-again person, is also like that. The person who is not born from above, the person who is not born again, the person who has only experienced a physical birth from his or her mother, but not the second birth, that person cannot understand, cannot comprehend the born-again person. They will look at what the born-again person does, the Christian does, and not understand where they're coming from. That is, they do not understand what motivates them. They don't understand where they're going. That is, they do not understand what that person's purpose in life is. It won't make sense to the person who isn't born again because what motivates the born again person to live and act the way they do just does not make sense to someone who is not born again from above. 
But it doesn't mean that the born-again person lives without purpose. It's just that that purpose is decided by God and his spirit. Have a look at the beginning of verse 8 again. The pneuma, the wind, blows wherever it pleases. But remember that that word pneuma, wind in our English, is a play on words. It's Greek. In Greek, it's pneuma, which can mean wind, but it also means spirit. The physical wind blows wherever it pleases, but so does the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. He blows wherever he wants to. And so verse 8 can also be understood as the Spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That is, the born-again person is controlled by God's Spirit, blowing wherever God's Spirit leads that person. Do you remember what Ezekiel chapter 25, verse 37 says? And I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That is the sort of person who can enter the kingdom of God. You know, it's great to know doctrine. It's great to know the Bible. It's great to try our best to follow God's laws. And actually, all those things are vitally important and are a byproduct or result of being born again. But without being controlled by God's Spirit, it's not enough. Without being born from above, born from God, born again, it's not enough. It's not enough to enter the kingdom of God because it's only God through his spirit that can give us that new heart, that new spirit to change us so that we are remade, we start again, to be born again from above, to follow God with a pure heart to enter the kingdom of God. So hopefully you might be asking now, how... How can someone be born again? And that's maybe sort of what Nicodemus had in mind when he asked in verse 9, How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And then Jesus gave him his answer from verse 10 to 16. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In this passage, Jesus tells Nicodemus and us how to be born again. But it's important to note that the work of being born again from above is ultimately God's work. We saw in verse 8, 
the wind or the spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. In other words, the process of being born from born again from above is something that God, God's Holy Spirit does. It's something from God. It's not something that we can do ourselves. But having said that, there is something that God calls us to do, and that is to believe and to trust, to believe and trust in Jesus. In verse 11, Jesus points out that Nicodemus has not accepted Jesus' testimony. Even though we know from verse 1 that Jesus, that, sorry, that Nicodemus thinks Jesus is from God, it seems as though he has not yet believed. In verses 14 to 16, Jesus calls Nicodemus and us to believe or to trust in him. In verse 14, he gives the example of the snake in the wilderness. Who knows the story about the snake in the wilderness? Great. John 3.14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now, in case you don't know, the snake in the wilderness refers to an offense in Israel's history when the Israelites were wandering in the Sinai desert and a plague of snakes came upon them. Who likes snakes? I know in Tasmania, every single snake is poisonous, so you never have to wonder whether it is or not. These were poisonous snakes. And God told Moses to make a bronze snake and to put it on a pole and anyone who had been bitten by a snake but looked at that bronze snake would live and be saved from the bite from the poisonous snake. And Jesus uses as an example of what would happen to him in his death and resurrection. Verses 14 to 16, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. When Jesus says that the Son of Man must be lifted up, he is predicting both his being lifted up on the cross to die, and then also his being lifted up when he, would be, when he was raised from the dead, and then after that ascended into heaven. And saying that anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Now the word here for believe, when it's used in Greek, it's a bit stronger than way, the way we sometimes use the word believe in English. You know, in English, for example, when we say the word believe, I can say that I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Who believes that 2 plus 2 is 4? Who thinks it's 5? Okay. All right. Never mind. I can believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, but that's not going to save me. It might help me pass a maths exam, but it won't save me. I can believe in whole lots of doctrine in the Bible in an abstract sense. I can know lots of stuff about God and the Bible, just like Nicodemus did. But by itself, that's not going to save me. In Greek, the word for believe is a strong form of belief, a little bit like the way, it, well, a lot like the way in English we use the word trust. In other words, we could read verses 14 to 16 like this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who trusts 
may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever trusts in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is not the sort of belief that Nicodemus had, that just knows lots of stuff, that tries to follow God in his own strength. But it's the kind of belief that is a trusting belief, that totally trusts Jesus and allows God's Spirit to guide and direct you, blowing you wherever God's Spirit wills, who will let God have control over your life to give you a new heart and a new spirit and let God's Spirit move so that you will follow God's laws and His ways. Friends, what does this, all this mean for us here this morning? I guess the most obvious question is, are you born again? Are you born from above? Maybe you're here today and church and Christianity are new to you. Jesus is calling you to trust in him so that you can be born again. But I do realize that most of us here today come to church regularly. This passage could be for you too. You may have been brought up in a Christian home. You might have gone to a Christian school or maybe you're still going to a Christian school. And maybe this passage is for you too. Because like Nicodemus, you can know the Bible inside and out, back to front. You can be able to argue doctrine till you're blue in the face, even the right doctrine. But those things in and of themselves, as important as they are, and they are important, they're very important. Don't get me wrong there. They are essential. But by themselves, they do not make you a Christian. They don't mean you'll be able to enter the kingdom of God and have eternal life. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And to do that, you must believe, not in an abstract sense, but you must trust in Jesus totally wholeheartedly, as if your life depends on it, because in fact, your eternal life does depend on it. Let God's Spirit come into your life and give you a fresh start, a new birth, not a physical one, but a spiritual birth, in which God's Spirit takes control of your life and guides you in all you do. And we know what He wants us to do through the words of the Bible. Now, what about Nicodemus? What happened to him? You know, if you read the rest of John the chapter 3, he just disappears off the page and we don't see what happens to him in that conversation. But we do find him two more times in the Gospel of John. In chapter 7, we find him defending Jesus before the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're accusing Jesus and he is standing up for Jesus. And then later on in John chapter 20, after Jesus had died on the cross and Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body down and buried him, guess who was helping him? Nicodemus was there with him, helping Joseph to bury Jesus. Although the Bible doesn't tell us directly that Nicodemus believed and was born again, these two accounts do tell us that he grew and grew in his understanding of Jesus and his willingness to stand for Jesus. There was hope for Nicodemus. And there's hope for you and I too. 
If you think that you've not been born again, then trust in God. Trust in Jesus. And if you want help with that, talk to me afterwards or to Jacob or Steve or one of the leaders here. And if you are born again, and I hope that most of us are, let us rejoice in that. And remember that even though the new birth, the birth from above is a one-off thing, throughout our whole life, we still need to be alert. We still need to be sensitive and make sure that we are submitting to God and the leading of His Holy Spirit as revealed in God's Word. And we need to also remember that there are so many people out there, tens of thousands of people just in Launceston alone, who need to hear this same message. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the testimony of Jesus that's recorded in the Gospel of John. And we thank you for this passage that tells us how we can have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus Christ from God to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again so that we can have eternal life. And Lord, we just pray that, that you would help us to trust in Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is not truly born again, born from above, had that new birth, I pray that you would work on their heart and bring them to a point of complete surrender to you and trusting in you so they can be born again. For those of us who are born again from above, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to rejoice in that, what you have done for us. And I pray that you'd help us to always be sensitive to the guiding and leading of your Holy Spirit, especially as you've communicated through your word, the Bible. Help us to be people who are guided and directed by you. We ask for these things in your name. Amen.